This episode is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. And Interactive Brokers has key competitive advantages for sophisticated investors like you. IBKR's margin rates are from just 5.83% to 6.83%, and IBKR was rated lowest margin fees by stockbrokers.com. With IBKR, you gain unparalleled access to over 150 global markets across stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, and funds, all from a single unified platform. And IBKR has low commissions with no added spreads, ticket charges, platform fees, or account minimums. Plus, their award-winning trading platforms for mobile and web desktop are loaded with powerful tools to help you succeed. Get started today with IBKR.com slash compare. Go over to IBKR.com slash compare because the best informed investors choose Interactive Brokers. Interactive Brokers, member SIPC. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Consumers and investors are in the holiday mood. Goldilocks may be in the house thinking about your brain on finance. Hmm. And a great topic to discuss because we have a guest today. His name is Dr. Daniel Crosby. All this and much more on episode number 846 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Is the season, isn't it now? Happy Hanukkah to all who are celebrating. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and thanks for joining me. I say it every single week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of what we call the disciplined investor. And hopefully you've had the opportunity over the years to become more disciplined yourself. And I got to tell you something, you know, there are a lot of people that call me and say, you know, I've been listening to you since episode 100. Um, I started with you from the beginning and then I hopped on the train and listened to DH Unplugged. Or, you know what, I've been listening to you for like the last year and a half. I got to tell you something, some really good stuff that I learned. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for being there and 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 thank you for joining me here. And I, and I appreciate all of you, all of you who have sent in emails for uh, good wishes and thank yous and questions, of course. You could do so at any time that you want by just going to the Ask Andrew section over on thedisciplineinvestor.com. And thank you, by the way, for the, all those people that that sent gifts. And <laughs> your creativity is something. So thank you. The good wishes, the gifts, wonderful. Sending you back the best of all things to you and yours during this holiday. Well, What happened? Well, the markets are in uh, good favor, holiday moods, good spirits, uh, feeling jolly and jovial. It's just that time of year that we talked about this. How many times have we talked about this? I mean, we've been talking about this since mid-October or so. That, you know, you start getting ready, start thinking about, you know, you want to be involved in because when we see what have, has happened statistically in a year like 2023, where we start out with a bang as we did and, 
you know, off a really bad year the year before and the reversionary uh, to the mean trade and all things that are going on with regard to uh, how things played out. And what happened is pretty much, I would say, uh, somewhat on plan, somewhat quite extraordinary. I mean, who would have expected the NASDAQ to rally close to 40% the NASDAQ 100 in the top, uh, let's say, 10 stocks and they're up an average of like 80%. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that Apple would be in the $3 trillion market cap range in 2023, especially after showing such really questionable numbers throughout the year. But here we are, and that is uh, the fact. We're not looking back and saying things like, oh, that's a fake rally. No, it's there. It's, it's, it's real. We got a good number this week. I would say, when I say good, it was, it was in line. In line is good. We, we saw an inline employment number. We saw pretty much everything else was right where it was expected to be. We saw a peak into the inflationary trends, the employment outlook, and, 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 and amazingly, a impressively, a, a really impressively buoyant consumer. We saw the University of Michigan pop last month that uh, was pretty outstanding. Expectations for inflation dropped, and... Uh, this was pretty impressive. Now, the employment numbers, what do we see? Uh, 199,000 ads, 3.7 on the unemployment rate. That was a drop. That did show initially the on Friday the, uh, the, the bonds start to be sold off again. Questions about whether or not we're going to see a change in tune from the Fed. And, and I got to tell you something. One of the things that's really been, I, I find, uber annoying recently is the fact that CNBC has continued to be all about the Fed, pressing these ideas that the Fed is going to drop their rates in March, thinking that that is, it's like somehow they got together and the producer of the show decided that they're just going to focus in on the Fed and push that down the throats of everybody until there's a point that they believe that the Fed is the only thing that is driving the markets. But... Where we are right now is the idea that most of the market, we, some of us excluded from this, believe that there'll be some rate cuts starting as early as possibly March of 2024. Now, I see no evidence in any of the numbers, whether it's the employment numbers, the inflation numbers, um, even, even if the Fed was trying to be forward-looking, which they're not, and they're trying to be moving ahead of the potential for a drop in inflation I can't imagine March with the GDP in the fours, maybe even, uh, you know, high threes and everything pretty much doing well in the service area. Housing prices holding up somewhat good. Stock market holding up well. Financial conditions loose as it could be to begin with. Why in the world would they start to reduce rates in March of 2024? Makes no logical sense to me, which is something that we're going to talk about today. The idea of logic, what we believe, and our own and brains. Before we do that and before the year ends... I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you, uh, all of you that are listening, that are new to investing. You know, a couple of years back, a few years back, we set up this program. It's called Investology with an E, E-N-V-E-S-T-O-L-O-G-Y, Investology. And we did so because you asked us to. You said, listen, I, I want to be investing in, in what you're doing, a global allocation. I don't have the 500000 or so to start with you. So we set up a program that was a best of advisory and technology 
to get you on board with as low as $10,000. You can go over to Investology. You can play around with it, set up an account. You don't have to actually invest. What you do is you register, you set up accounts, you go through the risk profiler, you design your portfolio. And if you like what you see at that point, you can say, hey, you know what? I want to move forward. But not until such time as you're convinced that that's something you want to do. So you can play around as long as you want. And I encourage you to do that. No fees to register, no costs, et cetera. Unless, you know, of course, we end up working together, which is something that I would love to do. This is a way for you to get your feet wet, to know what we do, how we do it, and, and what we're investing in. Investology.com. Now, let's move over to the topic of the day. Topic of the day is mindset, the psychology of money. We're going to delve into this because I think one of the one of the most important aspects of successfully investing and being successful in life is understanding how our own minds work, my mind. How does it work? What am I thinking? What colored glasses am I seeing? Whatever I'm looking at. And why am I different in my thinking than gent to my right and the gal to my left. What is so different? If I can understand my own mind, I probably have a better shot of understanding what they're thinking and why they're thinking that. Because we need to understand others in this great big chess game that we call investing. Whether we're traders, swing traders, day traders, long-term traders, long-term investors, short-term investors, we need to understand What's going on behind the scenes? And we're going to bring on a guest today. I guess who's better than Dr. Daniel Crosby um, to talk about that. So let's get to that right now. And as promised, our guest today is Dr. Daniel Crosby. Now, we haven't had him on for a while. He's a psychologist and behavioral finance expert who helps organizations understand the intersection of mind and markets. We'll get to him to understand what that exactly means. Written a number of books, bestsellers, personal benchmark I believe it was, it was first, Integrating Behavioral Finance and Investment Management, um, New York Times bestseller. Second book, The Laws of Wealth, named Best Investment Book of 2017, and uh, translated into 10 languages, which is pretty amazing right there. And his latest work, The Behavioral Investor, was Axiom's Best Investment Book of 2019. So cool stuff. Talked about neurology, physiology, psychology, sound financial decision-making and all that. So we're going to get it on. Daniel Crosby, how are you? Andrew, good to be here, man. Thanks for having me back. The, big, the biggest thing that stands out to me right here, you know, uh, if, if you listen to me, I know that we've been around for a while, is, is this one part of your CV, of your, of, your, of, your, of your summary of you're an amateur hot sauce chef. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something me and my son, me, this is something me and my son got into doing together, right? You're always looking for fun stuff to do with your kids and ways to connect with them. My two of my three children love spicy food. And ah. so my, we were eating so much expensive hot sauce. We get this, like, we get this fancy like black truffle hot sauce and it was putting a hole in the budget. And I said, Hey, let's try and do it ourselves. And so we got into it and there's been no looking back. Is that truffle hot sauce in a bottle that's like round, but it has like hard edges. It's red. It, it's red and yeah. it's got yeah. like, it's got sort of an oddly shaped lid. It's shaped like a truffle, yep. kind of like yep. a geometric yep. truffle. It's so good. Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> so good. I had that. You know, I'll just, uh, let me throw this at you since you're in the amateur hot chef, uh, hot sauce business. 
There is a pepper from St. Augustine, Florida called the Datil, D-I-T-I-L. I know it. Yeah. I know it. Great pepper. I just sent some friends there. They brought me back, honestly, eight different items. Honey, Datil honey, uh, a jam, um, a preserve with mint, uh, Datil pepper, hot sauce, barbecue sauce. Good stuff. So here's a, here's a funny story. My buddy from Florida told me was was proselytizing this this datal pepper. Sent me datal honey. It was incredible. I was all in. So now you won't believe this. I grow them oh. behind. I have a little grow lamp in my bathroom. It looks very suspicious. If the cops, if, if the cops ever kicked in my door, it wouldn't look great. But I have a little grow operation of, of peppers in my in my bathroom, and I get them started in there, and then I move them outside. So wow. I am growing daddle peppers right here, right now. And those are what they're like, are like bird's eyes, or they're like habaneros that level. Yeah, they're about there. I yeah. forget where they're on the Scoville chart, but they're they're in that ballpark yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Let's talk about behavioral finance. I, I got to start off with this question. The obvious question is, what is what people are probably asking? What is behavioral finance anyway? Yeah. So my uh, look, I'm from Alabama. We'll keep it simple. My my Alabama kid definition of behavioral finance is is finance that accounts for the messiness of human nature. Right. So a lot of a lot of the traditional econometric models were built on the supposition that we would all be perfectly rational and do things that were in our in our best interests. Uh, we know that's not the case. We psychologists <laughs> know that's not the case. So behavioral finance just studies the intersection of mind and markets and how messy humans make financial decisions. We make all our decisions messy, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we 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 sure do. I mean, we, but. I, I was talking to my but, wife but last night. It's like it's it's everybody has their own way of thinking. Is the point, isn't it? Yeah, but here's here's where money. You know, in in the behavioral investor, I I ran across some research which I thought was fascinating. It looked at the level of elect, electrical activation in the brain. Right, they they hook people up to fMRIs. They they measure their brain activity. And they showed them all kinds of stimuli, like all the all the good stuff, right? Like sex, death, religion, politics, like all the stuff that really kind of gets us going. And more than any of them, money had more excitatory power than any of them. So we do make a variety of screwy decisions, but we are uniquely bad when it comes to money, for sure. Hmm. I guess with money, we could have all the above, right? All the things that get us excited, money can provide. Cool. Well, that's that's exactly it, Andrew. Like people think of it as kind of liquid happiness, and so money becomes like sort of a stand-in for whatever you want it to be. Yeah. So obviously, that you know, different people, different things, right? And some people were brought up with uh, you know, don't spend a dime, and some people brought up with you know, uh, die with nothing, right? You know, everywhere in between. Um, and when you look at behavioral finance and its impact, and I guess if you first of all we look back, and I guess the first question is when did you first become interested in this, right? In this in this whole intersection, because you were in the psychology, you you were straight up psychology. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a clinical psychologist by education. That's right. Right, and then what? Where was the where was the intersection and the crossover for you? First of all. Yeah, so for for me, um, I you know I I got into clinical psychology to work with people with eating disorders really and uh got got down that road and it was really rewarding but it was also really stressful and you know at some point uh at some point in my career early in my career right as i was finishing up grad school 
I came to my father, who is a, himself a financial advisor, and I said, look, I love, I love studying human behavior, and I'm just absolutely in love with psychology, but I don't know if I want to do it in a medical setting. And he said, look, there's a ton of fine, uh, psychology in my world. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, because I'd, I had always sort of thought of my dad as like, you know, 50% sales guy, 50% stock picker. And, you know, he pointed me towards some books and, and it sort of set me on this journey. Now, this is, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, my dad uh, did not know the words behavioral economics or behavioral finance, but he set me on a path to sort of discover this myself. And, and once I got on that path, there was no getting off for me. So a lot of the stuff that you see in the markets right now, and, and, and <clears throat> since the advent of, maybe not the advent, but of the acknowledgement that behavioral finance is a thing, right? That there is, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Before that, it was all about technical analysis and it was about the crowds and all that. Nobody really thought, as far as I could see, like 25 years ago, oh, this whole idea of behavioral finance, right? What is that? But but the algos, everybody talks about the algos, are kind of built on that, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when look, I'm guilty of this, having a behavioral hammer and, and sort of seeing everything as a nail. But I think I think the best technical analysts would tell you the the charts and the patterns and the things that they see are behavioral in nature. Yeah. And while behavioral finance as a discipline, like so-called, is probably only 30, 40 years old, I think even when you go back, you know, many, many hundreds of years, you see, you know, you see 100 years ago, 150 years ago, uh, the, the smartest investors and the smartest traders had an eye on this kind of thing. And we see you know, value, uh, value investing is sort of behavioral at its core. Momentum has strong behavioral components to it. And so, I mean, we see momentum effects back in biblical times, you know, mm -hmm. in records that go back that far. So that's part of the beauty of, of behavioral finance is if you can find a behavioral underpinning to whatever your signal you're trying to trade, it's very unlikely that it's ever going to fully go away because human nature, you know, today versus 2000 years ago, pretty darn similar. But what's interesting is you get both, both, both areas of behavioral um, movement that are, are playing out. One of them is the behavioral finance uh, concept and behavioral investing where, you know, you could see what's happening, but then also there's a reverb of that, for example, a 50-day moving average, we could say, is a 50-day moving average of the uh, feelings uh, on the market or on a stock uh, and, and how it played out visually on a chart, right? So far, so good? Yeah. However, we could also see, oh, the stock price hit the 50-day average, and that causes a Pavlovian response by institutions, investors, and you know what? We're going to buy into that right now. Yeah, so it's it's funny when you think about technical analysis. When I was when I was first learning about markets, right? Because again, I'm a clinical psychologist. I know nothing about this initially. I start learning about these things. I was immediately drawn to sort of fundamental valuation based investing. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this is sensible to me. I like this. This conforms with how I see that the world should work. And I thought technical stuff was just voodoo. 
But now I've really seen a lot of value in both. And one of the things that you start to think about technical analysis is if enough people believe it works, it, yeah. it, it works. Right. And I, that's kind of, that's kind of, kind of human nature. You know, I even talk in the behavioral investor about money, like, you know, money, these green pieces of paper we, we spend our lives slaving away for, they have no inherent worth beyond our collective belief that they're real. And so technical analysis, I think there's there's some sort of kernel of truth to it, but there becomes more and more truth to it as it becomes widely accepted. And so, I, you know, I now think technical analysis is really fascinating and worth paying attention to in a way that I didn't initially yeah. kind of see the behavioral depth and beauty of it now. And by the way, the books I mentioned, um, obviously available on Amazon. I encourage my listeners to go grab a copy of, of any or all of these, especially over the new year. We have a little bit of time to kick back, relax, and read some of this and understand about it. Because there, there is really some fascinating points about, I think, that we'll all learn about, and I have because I've read them, learn about ourselves and 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 why we do the things we do. For example, we talk about behavioral biases, right? This idea, we know there are biases. Now, ask me, do I have biases? And I'm going to tell you, no, right? Because <laughs> they're mine. I own them, right? So, but there are these cognitive biases, right? That are, that are always there. They're impacting my decisions. So I was, I was going to ask you, what are the, the, those biases that you see quite often out there in the investing world? But before you answer that, I just want to do a quick update on our good friends from Interactive Brokers. Interactive Brokers Mutual Fund Marketplace provides low-cost access to more than 48,000 mutual funds. Wow. Including over 19,000 no-transaction fee funds. With no proprietary funds, this is important, the mutual funds marketplace provides access to funds from over 550 third parties, including such prominent fund families as Allianz and BlackRock and even Fidelity. Interactive Brokers is also Benzinga's number one pick, the number one best online broker for mutual funds in 2023. Again, learn more at ibkr.com slash funds. So let's get back to it. Tell me about those biases. Yeah. So, so what I did in my books, if, if I'm, if I'm known for anything, I'm, I'm known for this, there's, there's this universe of behavioral bias, as you suggest, and it's gotten quite large, right? You know, it's, it's over 200 now different sort of cognitive errors and, and sort of misguided ways of thinking that could lead you to make uh, goof up with your money. Right. But, but that's not very helpful information, right? You know, you know, you work with folks and say, hey, uh, welcome, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Look, there's 200 ways you could screw this up, right? So that's not super helpful. So what I did is I took that universe of, of 200 biases and I looked at them and sort of examined them and found that there were really sort of four meta biases. And there, I, I call them ego, em emotion, attention, and conservatism. I'll just hit those real quick. Um, ego is sort of the different flavors of overconfidence. So as a human race, we think we're smarter, better, faster, stronger than the next person, sort of all else equal. Uh, but we also think we're luckier than average 
and we think we're more prescient about the future than we actually are. So there's these sort of multiple, <laughs> there's multiple facets of, of thinking we're better, luckier, more knowledgeable than we are, which has obvious uh, problems when you apply it to the world of, of investing. The second is one that, is- that Is that, that we talked about this recently, actually, the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yeah, so Dunning-Kruger is a form of that. Do you now? Do you know the story? So apologies if you talked this on the show already. Dunning Kruger has got to be like my favorite because the way that Dunning and Kruger started studying this is a guy robbed a bank, and this they catch this bank robber who's covered in lemon juice, and they're like, "Buddy, like, what are you doing?" Like, why, why are you smell like a lemon? Why are you covered in lemon juice? This guy was so dumb. He had covered himself in lemon juice because he remembered as a kid using lemon juice to make invisible ink. And he thought it uh, would make him invisible. Uh, so they said, <laughs> it's an amazing story, right? So Dunning and Kruger see these, you know, this and other stories. And they say, wow, like really like, the people who are uninformed are too uninformed to know how uninformed they are. <laughs> and, then, and then sort of conversely, you know, some of the best and brightest among us have the most misgivings about themselves and sort of worry the most and are the most anxious. And so it's Dunning-Kruger is this really fascinating one. But I had to get in my lemon juice story because it's such a that great, is great. one. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, people. So so that's the first one, right? You said the overconfidence and, and all that. What else? Ego. So the second one is emotion. That's probably the most self-evident one. It's basically like we just let our emotional state uh, override our cognitive states when making decisions about money. And, and like I mentioned earlier, we're super emotional about money more so than just about anything else. And really, uh, Andrew, the, the emotional state where we find ourselves in colors our perception of risk and reward. So people who are in a good mood uh, tend to see risk nowhere, and people who are in a bad mood tend to see risk everywhere. Mm. And so people often let the, the, the mood state that they're in sort of color their perception of the markets. Yeah. That's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, and that, that makes sense, right? You know, you, you, you something happens to you. So, so they always say, you know, don't don't trade mad, don't trade tired, don't trade hungry. Yeah. So the um, I was lucky enough to get to to observe some twelve step groups as as part of my education, and one of the acronyms that I picked up there that I that I write about in the book is is one called Halt. And so people who are in recovery say, you know, never make a big, big decision when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, and, you know, kind of fill in your emotion of choice. Uh, the, the same thing should apply to trading and investing behavior for sure. Hmm. Hmm. All right. What's the next one? Okay. The next one is uh, attention. So attention is our tendency to confuse things that are loud with things that are likely, hmm. right? So you know, we think about uh, the way that the mind is wired, you know, like there's this, um, you know, there's this little game I like to do, you know, think of all the words you can that begin with the letter K, right? Okay. So if you're listening at home, you know, think of all the words you can that begin with the letter K. Um, now, second, second task is 
write down all the words you can think of in which K is the third letter in, in the word, right? Now, there's about three and a half times more words that have K as the third letter as there are that have K as the first letter. Mm. And yet people can inevitably come up with a longer list of, of K words because of the way that human recall and human memory works. We have a better memory for, for things that happen early in a sequence. So the same thing is true of the news, right? You know, you see shark attack stuff on the news. Well, you got about a one in 350 million shot of being bit by a shark. And yet it feels like they're everywhere mm. <laughs> because because it's it's very loud. And so attention is just this tendency to confuse the things that we're reading about with with probability. Now, I was home, I'm going to pick on my grandma, which is perhaps unfair here, but I was I was home for uh Thanksgiving, home in Alabama for Thanksgiving and I saw my nana and you know, I'm like nana and she goes, "Well, I feel sorry for you, son. It's been a rough year in markets and it has to have been a, you know, it has to have been a tough year for you in markets." Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Nana, the Nasdaq's, <laughs> you know, the Nasdaq's up 50%, you know, the, S <laughs> the S&P's up 20%. Yeah, it's like yeah. an incredible year for markets." But you know, if you sit around and watch the news all day, you'd think the sun hadn't shone one day in 2023. And so that's just this tendency to confuse loudness or newsworthiness with with probability. Hmm. Hmm. I think that happens a lot. And I think there is um, a, a lot of things that are making it even more difficult to make our ways through that these days. And social media. I'm, I'm a big social media uh I would say skeptic, not that anything more than I, I, I don't really understand the whole point of anybody saying whatever they want, whenever they want, how true it is or untrue. And you want to throw free speech at me, fine. But it just seems that the idea that everybody's either an expert or what is seen on social media is true, by the way, confuses the situation even more. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause a lot of problems. All right, what's your last one? The, uh, the last one, uh, the last one is conservatism. So conservatism is the, the human tendency to have sort of an asymmetrical preference when it comes to uh, risk and reward, right? So we know that we are two and a half times as upset about a loss as we are happy about a similarly sized gain. And this causes us to do stuff like play it too safe, flee for safety, you know, overinvest in, in sort of uh, flight to safety type assets and just be risk averse, change averse, newness averse, and, and uh, uncertainty averse. All of which, of course, are, you know, are, are hallmarks of markets, but we really are wired for, for safety and not for excellence. And, and overcoming that is tricky as an investor. I don't know which where this falls under. Maybe it's under ego, maybe. Um, but but a bias that is is constantly coming up, I think, on a regular regular, regular basis that I see is is a confirmation bias, right? Where it's I'm just listening, reading uh, the echo chamber that I believe is what it is, and not hearing anything else. I had a situation where there was a, there was some kind of law passed, and um, or some commentary in the state of Florida about certain I think books or something. It was a very strange small little issue that was passed, but it, I, had, I had groups over here of friends and groups over here of friends sitting at a table and the fireworks were unbelievable. The information that they were spewing from both sides 
I didn't know what was true or not at the time. I did look it up. Neither was right, by the way. Right. <laughs> From what I saw, at least, I said, no, that's not what it looks like. And I said, I brought them both back to the table. I'm like, can we all talk about this for a second and understand exactly what it is we're talking about, first of all. But my point is both of them were living in their own little containment area, which would only have the information that they wanted to hear. Right. The classic is I only watch CNN. I only watch Fox from a from a, from a political standpoint and, and getting that information or the Fox people saying, oh, my God, you must be listening to CNN and the CNN people saying, oh, my God, where'd you get that from Fox and all of that. How do we get out from that, you know, it, 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 that that situation so that we can listen to both sides and hear more of a reality or is that an impossibility? No, it's it, it's it's not an impossibility, but it's nothing we're it's nothing we're naturally drawn to, right? And I think you're right in your assessment. I think that I think that this confirmation bias is maybe sixty percent ego, forty percent uh, conservatism. If I if I had to if I had to put a number on it, sort of, and you know, part of it is is thinking we know better, and part of it is not wanting to change. Right. Because if if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm a CNN person and I listen to Fox and I get information there that that I don't like or, or changes, challenges my worldview or, you know, or vice versa. Right. And that challenges my worldview. Well, then I'm brought to a crossroads where I either have to do things differently or I have to change my mind. And both of those are sort of effortful, you know, difficult things. And so the way that we have to do this, you know, first of all, I think we have to we have to educate ourselves on how the sausage gets made, right? We we live in uh, there, there's no more Walter Cronkites, right? I mean, there's no one out there right now that's trying to sort of just dispassionately prove uh, or dispense news to us. The the big news organizations and the financial news organizations understand now, uh, first of all, that there's a lot of money to be made uh, pandering to people's priors and pandering to people's biases. And they do that in a very, very big way. So, right, understanding how they get compensated and, and, you know, further to that, going back to the conservatism piece, we know this is well-researched, right? Negative headlines move more newspapers, clicks, eyeballs, than positive news stories, right? So these news organizations are incented in a very real respect to give you only the worst news and to do so in a way that keeps you firmly planted within your echo chamber. Mm. So understanding that about it, I think helps you become a more critical consumer. And then the other thing is to to surround yourself with a, a variety of perspectives, right? Like I honestly, you know, while we're mentioning news sources, I honestly almost value like the BBC for American news over, <laughs> you know, over yeah, Fox, right. NBC, CNN, because in a way, you know, they're a little more dispassionate. And so having a variety of friend groups, having a variety of, of inputs and a variety of experiences, these things challenge us, but they also help us to grow. And I think they can be super rewarding. I would think that one of the one of the basic tenets uh, of of behavioral finance and the idea of psychology of money is to first of all rule one understand there is a psychology of money. I mean that that's a big issue, 
that yeah. as an investor to utilize this for my own benefit, I have to first buy into the fact that this is going on not only to with myself and and look inward, right? Try to understand what, what why why did I make that investment? Why did I buy GameStop? Uh, you know, at at you know hundreds of dollars more than it is now, thinking that it was going to be the next Microsoft. You know, where, where did that come from? What, what logic was that? And why did I sell that stock? Uh, you know, because it moved down a dollar that day and never bought back into. You know, pick your pick your name. Um, so I think that's a big issue to for individuals for all of us to really uh, have have a frank conversation with ourselves. Great time to do this as we enter into a new year, right? The old. Uh, resolution, promise, time I'm going to change. This time is going to be different. I'm actually going to go and do what I'm supposed to be doing uh, as opposed to, you know, worrying every single day about something that's just not even there. And, um, but but how could people, is there is there some places out there that people can go to, I don't know, keep themselves in check, some technology? Like, you know, when you're exercising, Dan, right? You know, you, you may count steps or you may look at your heartbeat or you may uh, count calories. I don't know, something of that nature for for healthy body. Where do we go for healthy mind? Aside from, you know, 50 minutes on the clock. Yeah, well, that I, I would recommend that to, to anyone for sure. But I want to talk about, you You brought up so many good points here. So the first point, Jason Jason's Zweig, the Wall Street Journal reporter, has this great line about behavioral finance and, and encourages us to use it as a, a, a mirror onto our own behavior and not a window onto other people's behavior. Yeah. Because I think, I, I think all of us um, recognize that, that other people have a psychology of money, right? We can all, we can all point to our spouse or a friend or a coworker or whatever and go, wow, they're, you know, they're weird where they do this. But I think our own psychology around money goes largely overlooked in the same way that a fish doesn't know it's wet, right? So when you, when you read a book like mine, I think the, the first thing that you need to do is go, okay, not, oh, I totally see this in my neighbor or my best friend, but to, to look for that in yourself. You know, you, you talked about the new year and there's actually a science to this. Um, Dr. Katie Milkman has written a whole book about this but it's called the fresh start effect. And people really do, uh, people, I mean, as, as woeful as we are at keeping our new year's resolutions, fresh starts like a new year or a birthday or an anniversary or whatever it may be, um, people really are more driven to change behavior around turns of the calendar and turns of the clock like that uh, than they are at other times. So. I'm a big fan of, of New Year's resolutions, imperfect as they are. And if, if people are excited about this, I think, I think it's a good thing, uh, good thing, good time to, to take it on. In terms, of, in terms of like wellness for the head and sort of what's the equivalent of, of 10,000 steps for your mind, I'll tell you what I use, right? I mean, it's a, it's a compli- uh, complicated question, but uh, Dr. Martin Seligman, has this framework called PERMA that I find myself referencing all the time. And it's basically the, you know, each of the PERMA, P-E-R-M-A stands for something. And it's sort of the recipe for a happy life and a good life. And according to the research, right? So the P is for positive experiences. This is just like having fun, right? This is eating ice cream, going to Disney, going to the beach, you know, 
kissing your wife, what, you know, whatever. It's just like having fun, relaxing, taking a vacation, right? Mm-hmm. You have enough leisure in your life. E is for engagement, which is hard work, like oh, deep, fulfilling hobbies, you know, learning guitar, learning woodworking, work, you know, your, your career, all of things, these things are engagement. Are you doing things that you enjoy and that are immersive and, and cause you to, to learn and grow that way? Uh, the R is for relationships. This is the single biggest, best predictor of, of life satisfaction. The M is for meaning, which is working for something outside of yourself. You know, that giving, could be, giving, giving. Yeah, that could be God, that could be spirituality, that could be charitable mm-hmm. offerings, that could be yoga, like that could be community service, like whatever that looks like, right? And then A is advancement or achievement, which is getting better every day, right? Like, are you learning? Are you listening to Andrew's podcast, learning, you know, learning new nuggets every day, learning, growing, and, and sort of achieving in that way? So, right, if as opposed to just with, flopping on the couch at night watching reruns. There you go. Yeah. But but sometimes that's fun. But yeah, I get it. <laughs> so, I mean, all of this is, is, is really fascinating. And obviously, my, my whole thought here and, and what we do here, obviously, is, is education and information, bring great people on to talk about this. And, and I think that, um, you know, these, like I said, you know, is are these days different than those days? I don't really know, you know, but I know that there is a lot of trend towards understanding um, these various things that go on. And I want to just mention a few things and then talk about some things that you, you, you consider trends in the future for behavioral finance and, and, and psychology of money, if you will. But we yeah. have things that are known very well, right? The behavioral thing that you said, the, the quick start or clean start or the let's get to the barn, which is like the Santa Claus rally, right? That, that, that kind of thing, the January effect. Uh, we look at the, the sell Yom Kippur by Rosh Hashanah. Vice versa, I guess, sell Rosh Hashanah by Yom Kippur. Um, we, we see these various things like, you know, sell and may go away. All these kinds of things, which are just, you know, fun little things that most of them have been disproven, by the way. But what do we have in the future um, in terms of understanding more about these kinds of, these, these kinds of things that come up, um, whether it's the meme move, whether it's the uh, stampede into... Uh, AI. I mean, what is the future? Do you think of uh, areas of of behavioral finance and and how this can help shape the future of uh, of financial decision making? Yeah. So, with respect to the sell in May, go away, and, and those sorts of calendar effects and different things, you know, throughout the years, researchers have discovered all sorts of market anomalies, like like the you know many of the ones you mentioned. And what we tend to see is that most of those get arbitraged away pretty quickly unless like something like rebalancing effects or calendar effects. Like once you know that, like once that's brought to public perception, uh, it's it's easy to understand. There's a reason why and smart people are going to make that that alpha go away rather fast because they're so it's easy to do and there's sort of no mental anguish associated with it. If something's going to endure, it's always going to have a behavioral component to it. You know, I talked about value and momentum. Like I would bet on value and momentum and some of these other technical things uh, till the cows come home. 
Now they're not, they can have long stretches of underperformance, but I still think, you know, for long-term investors, they're going to shake out and they're going to be there because human behavior is kind of forever. In, in terms of what I see the behavior of the future being like, I think what you're starting to see is technology, you know, the speed and the rapidity with which we can trade and also things like social media bringing uh, ideas and movements to the fore so quickly, but also having sort of giving them a, a short shelf life. I think you're going to see more volatility. I think you're going to see quicker ups and quicker downs. I don't know that net net, like it'll look all that different for long-term investors. I still think there's a ton of reason to be optimistic, but I think that markets will continue to get more volatile over, over time because a lot of these technological effects. And I think it's just a reminder to kind of get back to the basics, work with a professional that knows you and your family well and can give you sound advice. Stay away from sort of the fringier, riskier elements of the of this world. Tune out the noise and uh, and and try and zoom out. Yeah, I mean that. Step back. I always say, step back away from the screen, please. You know, yeah. let and whatever screen that may be, whether it's a television, uh, whether it's a screen of light. You know, what's happening right in front of you. Step back, see the big picture, where you're going with this. You know, it's pretty interesting just on this last topic here that. When we look at the speed of issues and you think about where we were, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, pre-internet, where the news information had to flow at a certain pace and it had to come through various sources, that may have been in a daily newspaper that you wouldn't have known that, you know, ABC CEO was arrested for, you know, embezzlement. Uh, right. And it would be the next day or, or so that you'd have to find out about this if it was covered. You know, because it was only a certain amount of space on a page that you could really present. So they had to decide what was the story that they would present, as opposed to the Internet in, in its totality, where information can flow instantaneously, assuming it's correct and true. But it could be with an unlimited amount. Right. You know, the old joke, you know, I'm bored. I got to the end of the Internet. What do I do next? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you know, I think I think a, rep, a funny representative example. I have a I have a teenage daughter. I have a high school age daughter, and she um, I I sent her this article to her email the other day, and it was like the whatever the twenty top teenage slang terms of of the year as as judged by the New York Times. And I was kind of going through this list with her. I you know heard her say some of these at various times. And she's like, most of these are passe now. Like most of these are so three months ago. Uh -huh. like, oh my gosh, it moves fast. Like, yeah. you know, they've been hearing these words used on TikTok and Twitter and everything for, for six months. And now they're sick of them. And by the time the New York Times gets around to reporting it, the boots on the ground teenagers think they're they're out of style. So things just move. Well, the, the, Dan, the funny thing is you for a minute thought you, for a minute thought you were kind of hip. That was I didn't think I was. Yeah, you're like, hey, I think I'm I was gonna cool send for a this. minute. <laughs> Slam <Didn't> down. <laughs> no dad. No dad. No dad. That's not happening. Daniel Crosby, uh, thank you so much. We're gonna have more information on uh, Daniel on the uh, website on the show notes for episode number 846 of the Discipline Investor on the DiscipleInvestor.com. Thanks for joining me. Hopefully, uh, you and I will get together one of these days. And uh, appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your 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 intelligence and your your insights. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for what you do. All right, thanks. Hey, great, right? Uh, learning about 
what we're thinking, how we're thinking, how others are thinking, all the different missteps that we make, the, 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 the areas that we need to improve on to understand more about ourselves and how we do things and how we make our decisions and how, how others do the same. Really important if you think about it. Why is it that I won't give up on my assets and invest in ABC or, or so? Because I'm afraid or I'm concerned or I'm worried or I think there's something better or I don't know, I'm confused, right? I mean, I don't know, whatever the answer is. Uh, you know, why is it that I won't sell something that's up high because I'm afraid or I'm thinking or what if or whatever? Point is that understanding thyself is probably a great way to start thinking about the new year. And this time of year is that reset, as Dan has talked about, right? We talked about this, this reset. And what better time of year to do it? Start thinking about how we're thinking about things and then looking else out to others. So not just saying, you know what? I don't believe that this market should be at this level. It is. It is at that level. Why is it at that level? Maybe understanding and giving into it to a point and admitting that they're right and we're wrong. Or when the market is selling off dramatically saying, oh, you know what? I think maybe it's about time to start investing. Or when things do get crazy and we see things that are unhinged to back away from them, take profits and move to the sideline for a while. A lot of different ways to look at all of this. But it all starts with the acknowledgement that we need to look at ourselves first before we can clearly see and judge what other people are doing and how they're doing it and determine what we should be doing with that information. Hope that helps. Great show today with Dr. Daniel Crosby. Go visit thedisciplineinvestor.com. Make sure to leave some good reviews over on wherever you're leaving your reviews on, Spotify, Amazon uh, Podcasts or, or um, Apple Podcasts, et cetera, wherever it is. Thanks for joining me this week and every week. Next week coming up, Med Faber. Uh, that's going to be a good show. He's a great guest. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you again real soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.